we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In the name of the one true living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Years back, I read a novel that repeated a line from a poem by Robert Browning. And the line stuck in my head, and here it is. Ah, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? Perhaps you've heard that. Perhaps you haven't. I hadn't until I read the book. I don't read Browning. I just read the occasional novel. But that line... A man's reach should exceed his grasp. Or what's a heaven for? It's a, it's a beautiful line expressing a profound reality. In part, I find that it describes my efforts as a preacher. I'm constantly preaching at the limits of what I can touch or apprehend. I do that in part because it's what I find most enthralling, and I prefer to preach enthralled. This means that I rarely preach what I comprehend. Thank you. <laughs> I find it funny too. <laughs> I've been learning to laugh about it for 15 years now. <laughs> now, I happen to believe that teaching is for what we comprehend. We, we teach what we can grasp. But we announce or preach. Wow, that pops. I'll try not to do that too much more. But I'm enthralled. I won't be able to help it. <laughs> we preach what we apprehend, what we see and are so excited about that we cannot contain, even though we cannot comprehend it. And the amazing thing that happens in this process is that we discover, hopefully both preacher and listeners, we discover that what we touch or apprehend is actually reaching out and taking hold of and grasping us. That as we reach out and touch the heavens, we find that the heavens have already laid hold of us in our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we discover that the limits of what humans can reach out and touch has actually reached out and taken hold of our lower reality and raised it up into itself, or rather, himself. And this is what St. John is announcing in the opening of his first letter. He's telling us the one thing that nobody thought could happen did happen. The one thing that nobody thought possible because of the limits of the reach of the human mind, that that event happened. That God, who is, became an event in human history through the incarnation of the Son of God. That which was from the beginning, John says. The word of life appeared or was made manifest. I like that word, manifest. Manifest. It's, it's a verb that indicates a display or a show of something or someone. In St. John's Gospel, he says this of the manifestation of the word of life. 
he says, and we beheld his glory. Now in his letter, he writes it this way. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and then he adds some amazing detail. What our eyes have looked at or gazed upon, what our hands have handled, what we touched and held, in other words, what we grasped concerning the word of life. This is a big deal. And we still struggle with it. The incarnation of the Son of God, the word of life assuming human nature and becoming someone that we humans can gaze upon, touch, and grasp. Our monotheistic Jewish and Muslim friends say that this cannot happen. And it took Christians several hundred years to find the theological, philosophical, metaphysical language sufficient to describe our understanding and ongoing experience of what St. John wrote in his simple yet elegant common Greek. Now, these days, our atheistic and materialistic friends tend to argue that there is no word of life to be manifest. I happen to think they're incorrect. I think this for several reasons. One, in their approach, they have a tendency to limit artificially and unnecessarily what counts as reality. So if something can't be measured, touched, tasted, weighed, tested, reproduced, in other words, if it doesn't fit within our pre-existing agreement of what we can grasp and control, then it isn't really real. I dissent from this view, too. It's far too small. Now, here's another thing I like about the word manifest. That as a noun, it's used in the shipping industry. A cargo's manifest is a list of its contents, what's in the ship, all the people in stock. So it's wonderful to me that when the word of life was made manifest, its manifest, its description of its contents, describes who it is. It's God. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Christian musical artist Matt Marr sings so wonderfully of this in a song called Love Comes Down. He sings of this event. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it marvelous? The God of the universe, he became one of us. We cry out and then love comes down again. Glory is found in him. Alleluia. That song is on his album Alive Again, and I put a YouTube version of the song on our Incarnation website, also on the Anglican Aggies. Not the website, but the Facebook page. So you can go there if you don't know that song. But what Mr. Moore is singing about, I almost called him Matt, you know, my good friend Matt. <laughs> I don't know the man. I enjoy his work. What he's singing about is one event, but in two aspects. One aspect is the incarnation of itself, itself. The God of the universe, he became one of us. But the other aspect of his song is our ongoing interaction with the incarnate word in the Holy Communion. We cry out, and then love comes down again, and again, and again. And what do we cry out, my friends, but the Lord be with you. 
and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. And then we continue our cry of joy and praise with the great thanksgiving, which includes the Sanctus and Benedictus, the great praise chorus of the heavens. We continue with the Our Father, what Jesus taught us to pray, and the Agnus Dei, the one-sentence sermon of brilliance from John the Baptizer. We cry out. And the word of life made manifest so long ago, still available to us, comes down to meet us where we are in communion. Communion. This, I believe, is one of the great purposes of the incarnation of the Word of God. Communion. I come to this this week reading through and working with what John says. I want to read a few of his words and expound my understanding of them as I read. John writes, That which was from the beginning, what we've seen and heard about the word of life made manifest. That's what he opens his letter with. What we've seen and we've heard, this we announce to you. So that, it's a very clear purpose clause in the Greek, so that you or y'all, it's a plural you, so that y'all may know and also have fellowship or communion. Koinonia in the Greek, it's a gorgeous word. So that y'all may have communion with us and our communion is in fact with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it marvelous? Isn't it worth marveling over and gazing upon that Jesus, the eternal Son of the Father, became one of us so that we can enjoy, in fact, what He had from all eternity, communion with the Father and with one another. As we continue in John's opening chapter of his first letter, we learn the content of this communion, the manifest of this particular cargo ship. And the content of communion is completed joy and forgiven sin. What we are given and learn to know by experience in communion with God is completed joy and forgiven sin. On completed joy, John writes, and we're writing this to you all so that our joy may be fulfilled then we together with you will be in communion with the Father and can know by experience the kind of joy which has been and will ever remain completely full. Now that's a terrible translation. I've expanded it for effect. I would fail a translation exam for that, but I might get a C in preaching for the same error. And as we said in seminary, A students may make the best cross, but C students make the best pastor. <laughs> Guess what I was? A B student, thanks to great inflation. <laughs> so let me say that again. We're writing this to you all so that our joy may be fulfilled and we, together with you, will be in communion with the Father and can know by experience the kind of joy which has been and will remain completely full. That's a good kind of joy. Joy to the fullest, unending. But what is joy? 
It's not a passing sense of happiness. One of my favorite teachers defines joy as a pervasive sense of well-being. A pervasive sense of well-being. And I would say that comes from knowing both intuitively and by experience and by divine revelation that God is with us and for us in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. And this sense comes to us and is cultivated by spiritual practices of Christian living. Practices that include our worship and prayer as primary exercises. And in our Anglican practice, worship and prayer means daily office and holy communion, among other things. These are given and intended by God's grace to keep us in communion with him and one another, producing the fruit of the Spirit, which is both manifested and manifold, tangible and deep. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Completed joy and forgiven sin. See, in light of the fact that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, we have to let him confront and eliminate our inner darkness. That's part of what brings and establishes lasting joy in the human heart. It also brings discomfort, temporary discomfort. As John writes in his gospel, whoever believes in the Son is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. As we come to the light through faith or belief in the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, simply trusting him, we are forgiven and cleansed. And if we say we have communion with him while we continue in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth, John writes. But if we live in the light as he is in the light, we have communion with each other and the blood of Jesus is cleansing us from all sin. Again, I've highlighted the translation here to bring out the present tense verb in cleansing. The blood of Jesus is cleansing us from all sin. Now, John goes on to say, if we say we have sin, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let me point out a contrast in this text that I've never noticed, and then I'll close. One contrast and then the closing. John in that passage, and take a look at it sometime this week, he's contrasting saying and doing. If, if we say one thing while doing another, we're not ready for the help that God's providing. If we say we have communion with him while we continue in darkness, we're on the wrong path. But if we do 
or practice what is true, what is light, what is compatible with communion of God, if we do that, then God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves and desperately need him to do. Cleanse us from the ravages of sin. Brothers and sisters, as I close, join me in learning to live in the light. Confess your sins to God. Pursue these basic practices rooted in joy that comes from communion with God, made possible by the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of the Son of God. The purpose of the incarnation is life in communion with God. And the content of our life in communion is completed joy and forgiven sin. May God bless these words to you and bring you joy. Amen.